Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Melissa Parrish. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by VP and Research Director Fiona Swordlow to discuss what U.S. retailers can expect during the upcoming 2021 holiday season. Welcome, Fiona. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. So, Fiona, let's just talk about maybe what happened holiday season 2020 and Does that have sort of any indication for what you're anticipating to happen this year in 2021? Well, holiday 2020 was the great unknown because we had not had a pandemic in living memory uh, or anything quite this unforeseen in some time. So what happened last year is that uh, the National Retail Federation found that Total holiday sales, so online and offline, all touch points, grew 8.3% year over year, which is a record. I mean, really a record. Um, so that was perhaps not something that everybody foresaw, given the circumstances leading up to the holiday season in 2020. As for 2021, well, we have an idea and some lessons that we can learn from, from last year. But uh, of course, I think a year ago, we were all hoping that by now, uh, September of 2021, we would be past the pandemic. And that of course is not what's happening. So the thing is, I, I, I keep saying to our clients, I wish I could crystal ball this, But uh, the best thing that we can do again this year is to keep a close eye on the many variables that continue to evolve. And and of course, retailers have been doing this all year and for longer than that. Um, But maybe just to sort of go into a couple of the things that that we are looking at uh, as we go into the holiday season in, in a matter of a month at this point. So on September 3rd, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, so part of the U.S. Department of Labor, announced that uh, unemployment has come down to 5.2 percent. And that's actually down from uh, that was for the month of August. That's down from 5.4 percent in July. So this is obviously the right direction, the direction we want to be going. But the number of I think they call it non-farm jobs that were added was below the monthly average that we've had for this year. So that's a little bit of a um, a mixed um, indicator, I suppose, there. And of course, that is national unemployment. Uh, It's different from state to state. Uh, The other thing that we're looking at is, of course, consumer sentiment. So we ran a survey in um, July to get an early read on how consumers are thinking about holiday. Now that's really early, even in the best of years, to be asking consumers, of course, about how they're thinking about holiday. But but these online adults in the US, and actually we asked online adults in the UK as well, we asked them a little bit about, how are you thinking about your budget at this point? And about, about half, so, so one in five in the UK, sort of 20 some odd percent, uh, one in four in the U.S., 20 more like 25%, a quarter or so, said they actually think they're going to spend more this holiday season than they did last. Uh, and then about half, give or take, said that they plan to spend about the same. 
The issue, of course, and I know I've talked for a long time here, <laughs> is simply that that's an early read, that's July, and things continue to change. So, of course, things like the Delta variant, vaccination rates, et cetera. So those are some of the things that we're thinking about looking ahead. But that's interesting data, Fiona, because I feel like one of the things that um, we've talked about a lot over the past year is that um, one of the reasons we were all surprised by holiday last year was people were so fearful of the pandemic, and rightfully so, that we sort of, I think people just naturally assumed we would all be kind of holding on to our money, right? Because we're, we're just scared about everything. So you don't want to spend, you don't want to, and actually it was the opposite for a lot of people. They weren't spending money on commutes. They weren't spending money on other things. So those people who were fortunate enough to continue their employment were like, I'm just going to take this moment and celebrate by having a wonderful holiday. Um, I, I know we don't have any, it's probably not the kind of thing we could have hard data about, but what's your opinion? Do you think that's going to do you think sentiment is going to go one way or the other for the majority of people this year with things like the Delta variant happening? Look, in the end, people are people. Uh, and if you want to celebrate the winter holidays and you have the means to do so, of course, you're going to try to make the best of things. Now, we have no idea at this stage. And it, of course, depends on which part of the world you're in as well. You know, will we be back in a lockdown situation? Or will things have turned and maybe the Delta variant is on its way out? Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's one of these situations where I think consumers in general would like to celebrate if they can. And if they have the means, they will still want to buy gifts if they are able to have people over and we're in a situation where that's safe and, and people feel safe about having people over. They will want to celebrate with loved ones and friends and, and spend money on things like uh, food and, you know, for, for celebrations and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I think that in general, consumers would like to celebrate. And I think we're just going to, again, it, there's so many variables, um, but overall, I think if, if they can, they will. So you talked about like, yes, lessons learned from, from 2020. I feel like, you know, we have some, some data from after holiday last year, shipping times and, you know, it just things took a little bit longer given supply chain potential issues and things of that nature. So what does that mean? What do you think that means for 2021 from the consumer perspective, but also where would maybe retailers be doing things differently um, now, kind of knowing a little bit more about the, the impacts of the pandemic? Right. Um, well, let's start with the consumer. So um, I've been lucky enough to be thinking about holiday for many, many years uh, at this point. And uh, so one of the questions that I get a lot is, you know, are people going to start buying earlier and are they going to start shopping earlier? Are they going to finish earlier? Uh, in general, even last year, we did a, a post-holiday consumer survey, and um, some of them, so about a third said that they had, uh, these are online consumers specifically, in the U.S. specifically, uh, about a third said that they had started their holiday shopping in October or earlier. Um, and that's uh, perhaps a, a little more than we might have seen in past years, but you have to remember for last year, Prime Day, Amazon Prime Day happened in October not in the traditional summer months. 
so that might have gotten things going a little bit there. But certainly uh, a little over one third also said, well, I actually started my holiday shopping in December um, and that is not remotely unusual. That is totally, yeah, I think there's several of us who, who can absolutely put us put ourselves in, in, that, in that bucket as well. Um, and, and, you know, what they bought were things like um, apparel and footwear and home goods and electronics and toys. So a lot of Christmas and, and holiday staples on the one hand, um, but also sort of pandemic uh, essentials is an overused term. But, you know, things to feel cozy in, things to feel comfortable in because we were all at home and that kind of thing. And interestingly, we also heard from consumers that um, about a third of them told us that they, they wanted to, they tried when they could to support local businesses. So that's what consumers were thinking about. And, and I think we'll see a lot of that again this year. Now, in terms of retailers and brands that sell direct to consumer one way or another, uh, for this year, I, I, I actually I have to say that the, in in the in the holiday research that I that I did this year, I first of all have to say major shout out to so many of my colleagues here who are specialists in areas like you know whether it's uh, Jesse Liu in um, social uh, for social media and Emily Collins for all things B two B B two C marketing and you know colleagues galore across the across the the spectrum but one of the other ones i wanted to call out actually um some of our colleagues who uh like brian hopkins and bobby cameron actually they are technology um analysts and they have been doing all this work around this idea of future fit future fit technology and so um i as i was thinking about you know how should retailers position themselves for this year and what do they need to what is sort of the mantra as it were i was reminded of this whole idea of a future fit um, and what that means, if you're not familiar with that, is that this is this is uh, a strategy whereby a firm uh, becomes adaptive, creative, and resilient. And those three terms so apply not only to technology, but I would say certainly many things, but absolutely also uh, the way that retailers need to approach their business as a whole, um, but certainly also how they're going to adapt um, and how they're going to um, approach uh, holiday. So Fiona, you were talking about future fit and the idea of adaptive and creative and resilient. Um, and I, you know, when I think about some of the things that happened last year, uh, I think about there are legitimate physical supply chain issues, and many of those have not been cleared up. Totally get that. I I ordered a new oven uh, last March and still waiting for it. Right, but wow. um, but. I'm wondering about how future fit technology strategies could help solve some of the challenges that we saw last year, like website inventory not being up to date or much longer than expected delivery times, just because the the technology that told the consumer what to expect was not in sync with reality. Um, have you seen any improvements there? Should we expect any improvements or are consumers the ones who will adjust? So consumers will certainly adapt to that which is available to them, and they will ask for more, whatever they need, of course. Uh, but the retailers and brands overall have been feverishly, I'd say, looking to how they can get more out of existing technology that they already have in-house or essentially upgrading and adding any technologies for th that they need in order to uh, fulfill any number of, of, of uh, uh, customer needs and, and obviously internal operational needs. So if you think, for example, about order management systems, 
this is something that our team and Emily Pfeiffer in particular, along with um, uh, a couple others, have, have been looking at. Um, and uh, what we heard many times is that the order management system really saved a lot of businesses uh, in the last year, year and a half at this stage with so many different aspects of their uh, operations. So if you think about, for example, um, how you turn on curbside delivery, you, it's extraordinarily difficult to do that without something like uh, a, a modern OMS um, that, that allows you to add those cap kind of capabilities. Or as you mentioned earlier, showing inventory uh, on a shelf so that I, because customers tell us again and again, they are increasingly going into stores at this stage. Um, but before they go into the store, they want to look online and they want to see, is that inventory, uh, is that item uh, actually in stock in the store so that I don't have a wasted trip, which would just, you know, it's convenience, but potentially also a safety factor. So absolutely, we see that uh, retailers and brands have been uh, working a lot on there, and I think that's an understatement <laughs> uh, on the technology that they've been um, either implementing or fine-tuning, getting more out of. So maybe just a, a quick follow-up there. Um, if I am one of the retailers or brands who has not done this yet, based on the technology research from uh, Emily and uh, Brendan Witcher and others, is it too late? For holiday season, if if I'm a retailer who has not upgraded my systems, am I looking at at holiday 2022 to make a difference? Well, um, it's uh, it's never too late because, of course, holiday is not the only time that you're selling. Of course, so um, if if you haven't had a chance to do something around that, and and I think that would be the exception. I think many retailers really have um, actively take, taken on um, all these these um, you know whether new implementation implementations or, or upgrades. Um, then this is certainly the time to to get going. Um, it's always dicey uh, when you're thinking about a really big implementation uh, as a retailer right before the holiday season. Um, uh, but uh, certainly there there are some adjustments that you can make sort of short term and then obviously for the longer term as well. So I'm going to change um, direction, well, slightly, maybe. So not talking about the underlying tech, but more um, what's happening on the marketing side. Like, what are you sort of seeing um, how brands or retailers are presenting, you know, themselves to consumers and potentially is the channel mix the same, different? How are they reaching um, consumers to, you know, talk about the upcoming holiday season? So as of right now, in early September, we haven't seen much yet that is very specific to end of year holidays. Uh, here in the U.S., we're still looking at some things around uh, Labor Day and, and we're starting to see Halloween merchandise in the stores and that kind of thing. Uh, but as we get closer to holiday, there are a couple of things that we certainly saw last year. Um, and uh, Charvin Boskirk, among other uh, wonderful analysts here, uh, talked about uh, the variety of ways that uh, retailers and brands could think about that. You know, how do how do they talk with with uh, with uh, with their customers. Um, and so there's sort of a, you know, there could be nostalgia 
uh, sort of focus. There could be, uh, how can I actually help you? And, and this was a point that, uh, that Emily Collins made last year about this idea of empathy, that empathy is one of the best things that you as a retailer, as a brand can give to your customers. And, and what does that look like? How do you make their lives a little bit easier? Anything to make shopping easier, to find uh, ideas, you know, we, we see a lot of this uh, and on social media, of course, is, is, you know, all these wonderful brands that are advertising there. Um, uh, but in it, it, it really, you know, and, and uh, ideas for certain kinds of recipients, you know, maybe grandparents or children or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but anything that helps the customer uh, be able to handle this very stressful and, 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 and busy time of year, even in the middle of a pandemic, uh, these are the kinds of things that customers are going to be wanting to hear about. Um, and so it could be things that, you know, it's like, all, you know, your, all your options like a curbside delivery and, and pickup and, and uh, contactless payments and um, notifications, you know, all those notifications that tell me uh, so I can track my package. You know, this is the time of year when you want to know that that package is going to arrive, whether remotely or at my house or wherever it is, uh, on time and, and even telling me that it's arrived um, so I know to go to my mailbox and, and, and pick that up and that kind of thing. Assembly instructions, cooking instructions, anything like this. Um, will be well received. The other thing that we are hearing is that consumers want to hear about, uh, we've, we've talked a lot about this idea of the, the values-based consumer. Um, and so what sort of things do they want to hear from retailers and brands about? Well, uh, in this early read that we did on, on holiday uh, in, in July, um, in the U.S., about uh, a quarter of those U.S. online adults whom we surveyed said that they, they were really going to look for companies who uh, are transparent about their business practices, um, things like fair trade, uh, you know, deeper into the supply chain potentially. Um, and that was about the same in, in the U.K. So they're, they're looking for those kinds of messages as well. Am I, am I helping my community? Am I helping other communities? Am I helping the world and so forth? So these are all factors to, to balance in that messaging. So I want to go back to, uh, to a topic you mentioned briefly, Fiona, and that's social media. O over the years, you and I have noticed um, in the post-holiday data how social media's influence on holiday purchases tends to wax and wane. And sometimes, like a few years ago, I remember we were looking at the at data from the NRF after holiday, and we were just shocked at the number of consumers who said they were influenced by messaging on social media because it just doesn't um, typically happen that way. Uh, obviously, we don't have numbers. We don't have data yet. This will have to be sort of backward-looking data. But I'm wondering about your opinion. What's your uh, – what are you feeling like uh, – like in terms of the size of social media's impact on holiday purchases this year? So I don't have data per se, but my sense is that social media will continue to be an extraordinarily important part of the, the overall marketing mix for any retailer or brand. We talk about this idea of the empowered customer. And one of the hallmarks of the empowered customer is that they're very info savvy. And this, you know, they're becoming, as they become increasingly empowered, um, that info savviness extends to lots of sources of information, of course. Um, I would say social media is one of them. 
it's not the only one. And I don't even know that it's the dominant one because I think consumers are not just info, but savvy. <laughs> so they're looking for both parts of that. Um, and so they're looking for a balance of, of uh, information uh, about, you know, to this idea of the, the transparency of a company's business practices, for example. Um, a company can say anything about themselves, obviously, in any medium, social media or email or, or just their website, of course. Um, consumers are going to look at lots of different sources to understand, well, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, what, what does ESG mean for XYZ brand or what have you? Um, and they're going to ask, obviously, friends and family. They're going to do their homework. So social media is absolutely important. It's how it's a it's a way for all kinds of brands to become better known, uh, to increase their visibility. But um, one of many sources, I would say. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, uh, uh what you mentioned about a source for brands to become better known. I think we were talking before we started recording about how, you know, we've all received those ads from small DTC brands on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And you just, it's just so easy to spend money on those brands. I guess my question is we're talking about, these are, these are, these are niche brands um, and I have had a lot of success buying from them. But for our very big retailer or brand manufacturer clients, how worried should they be about disruption from these DTC brands that are putting uh, comparatively a lot of money into, into social media? Well, what the big retailers are doing is saying, yes, of course, digital, really important, all the different aspects, social um, their own websites and so on and so forth. But I think what's been really interesting to see is how some retailers are doing things, especially with their stores, because stores are still important, uh, incredibly important. Um, and so I've been seeing, for example, when you look at a, a company like Target, they've really done a lot of work to develop essentially stores within stores, those sort of shop within the shop. Uh, kind of concepts and, and partnerships. And so um, earlier it was, you know, initially it was, it was, um, you know, Apple, for example, was one of their partners. Well, that has just grown ever since. So they're doing things with, you know, Ulta, of course, the one, one of the, the leading um, uh, beauty uh, retailers. Um, uh, so that's a big partnership for them now. Um, Disney, Starbucks, uh, Levi's, CVS, and so forth. By the same token, of course, you look at somebody like Kohl's and you drive by a Kohl's now and it is very likely says Sephora uh, on the, um, you know, outside on, on the big marquee letters. Um, so that's a big focus for them as well. Um, and Kohl's has done all kinds of uh, partnerships like this. Um, and, you know, you can extend this to, I, I think Mark Macy's is doing something with Toys R Us this year um, and, and on and on. So I think that what, what the retailers are doing is saying, Let's make sure that our stores are uh, working as well and that we're getting as much as possible out of them as well. So um, how, do, how, do we, how do we compete, whether it's with DTCs, to get back to your original question, or with other retailers, of course, let's make the most of both the, all our digital properties, and, but also let's really uh, make sure that the, uh, the, the stores are doing as much as, as they can as well. 
Let's talk about like some of the features and functionalities that you're seeing on the digital experiences that retailers and, and brands are investing in. And if they haven't invested in, like, should maybe take a look at, um, it, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. So what what are a couple things that you you have been seeing um, folks really dive into? Absolutely. So we had talked a little earlier about this idea of, um, you know, the empathy and how can you be most helpful. Um, I think many parents uh, who are trying to assemble that bike or the playset or what have you, and so often it because they're tired, they're, well, they are probably tired as well, but they are time starved. <laughs> um, they are busy. They've been working up until the last minute, and then they have to put that thing together the night before the big event, um, whichever the event is. Um, and wow, isn't it great to have wonderful assembly instructions, let's say, or, you know, things to make that easier. Um, so there, there are those sort of empathy-ish, uh, um, how can I add value, even if I'm not actually selling you yet another thing, uh, kinds of, kinds of uh, uh, services, as you, uh, if you will, um, that uh, that that uh, retailers and brands should be offering on uh, digitally. They should also absolutely long before you even get to having re having received this wonderful item, um, invest in what essentially site confidence uh, building measures, uh, something that Andrew Hogan um, uh, thinks a lot about, for example. Um, and one of those things, which I thought was particularly interesting also, is this idea of accessibility, so site accessibility. Um, and Gina Bewalker, uh, she, she mentioned uh, back in 2019, uh, she pointed out to me that at that, at that time, uh, working adults in the U.S., in the U.S. alone, who have disabilities, have a combined after-tax disposable income of $490 billion. And so her question, as is mine, why would you leave any of that on the table? Um, these are wonderful potential customers and hopefully already existing customers. So site accessibility measures, um, really important. And she has lots of research uh, also about avoiding sort of the quick fixes, uh, which are not good. Um, but, you know, how can you how can you make your digital um, touch points uh, that much more accessible? Um, and even things like chat. Uh, chat is something that uh, consumers increasingly tell us that they really expect. So uh, I think we said we saw something like um, essentially two out of five US online adults in, in 2020 said that it was important for retailers to offer live online chats on their websites. And that was up from you know, about a quarter um, just a year before. So that's obviously important. Um, what we are also saying is that it's, it's, so chat is something that's fairly well known and of course it, it continues to develop. But um, Ian Jacobs uh, had actually mentioned that to get better at chat, you need to actually have better metrics. And uh, so newer metrics uh, that he recommends are things like experience metrics. So how do users feel about their interactions with the chatbot? So understanding that uh, because you don't want to just sort of uh, set it and forget it um, kind of thing. Um, and also anticipatory customer service metrics and uh, things like monitoring and measuring customer service questions that are waiting to happen. And the obvious one here for holiday, of course, is where is my package and when will it when will it arrive? That kind of thing. So those would be some of the things uh, that I would be looking at um, were I still a retailer <laughs> for my site. Okay, so Fiona, this has been a, a, a wide ranging and fascinating conversation. And so now I will 
I will throw you my question that I ask at the end of almost every panel in Fireside Chat I ever host, which is this. In a uh, situation and a moment in time where so much is happening, there are so many variables uh, and so much money uh, running around the ecosystem. If you had to if retailers who are listening to this, if our clients who are listening to this had to take one piece of advice away for this holiday season, what would it be? How do they weather the literal and figurative storms? Um, where do they put their money? Where do they place their bets? What is the number one thing they have to keep in mind in this moment of uncertainty? Retailers need to stay flexible. Uh, it seems like the only, and I'm sure most obvious answer, but given how fast things continue to change and will presumably, well, they how fast things will continue to change over the next few months and right into and even beyond holiday, being as flexible and as agile as possible is going to be absolutely key. It's difficult right now to uh, anticipate exactly how everything is going to go, whether it's um, the, the pandemic itself or, um, I mean, you mentioned earlier things like supply chain, for example. The ports are congested. Uh, there are ships still out, cargo ships uh, anchored and waiting to get into ports. There's not enough um, chassis uh, to take <laughs> the goods uh, around the U.S. Um, on, on those big trucks. Uh, so those sorts of things are just going, you know, th th those are just some logistical issues. Um, we talked about the pandemic, of course. Um, I would say in your marketing, in your service, you know, contact center and so forth, keeping that empathetic ear for your customers, trying to help them, trying to help them, you know, like we talked about things like convenience and, and value, value add and, and things like that. Uh, I think this is going to be extraordinarily important. And the Last thing I would say also is it is just as important to focus on the well-being and um, being and, and how flexible you can be with your employees. Uh, the store associates are often and, and those contact center um, reps, uh, uh, customer service reps, are really on the on the proverbial front lines. And so anything you can do to empower them to help the customer to uh, technology, information, um, the ability perhaps to expedite a return, anything like that, I think will have long-term long um, good consequences <laughs> um, in terms of, and, and, and as, as we all know, it, you know, employment right now is, is there, there are real labor shortages, um, so, maintaining, retaining and, and, um, and helping your employees to do the very best job that they can. Uh, and taking, uh, you know, taking learnings as, as, as they come. I think these are all part of that thing that I started with around stay flexible. 
Great. Well, thanks for joining us today, Fiona. We appreciate it. My pleasure. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.